Hello, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today with Dr. Brian McGowan as my guest. And Dr. McGowan, first of all, to start out, I want to talk a little bit about primary care family docs, internists, and the use of social media. Because if there's anyone I've come across who has looked at scientific evidence-based studies, it's been you. What is your assessment now about how physicians are using social media in its present form? And I want to talk a little about how it potentially could be used. But right now, how do you think it is being used? Sure, Brian, and thanks for having me. Um, What we found that actually set the background for some of the studies that maybe we'll be able to talk about is that there seems to be three general themes of the way primary care clinicians or clinicians in general are using social media, and, and, and they differing levels of risk associated with them and, and potentially different levels of benefit associated with them. The first one is, and maybe it's the most natural way to use social media, considering the clinician-patient interaction, and that's that idea of clinicians using it specifically to treat, right? So that critical relationship between the clinician and the patient, and they're engaging in that relationship from afar using social media. That's largely considered to be the riskiest of the potential versions of use, and in the United States at least, it's probably the least prominent, though there are some really interesting examples that we can discuss. The second uh, case would be that of using social media to teach, and more of an extension of patient education. So a physician that has a blog or is engaging in uh, either a Facebook or Twitter uh, account and is reaching out to the patient community, either locally or nationally, and getting in front of new stories as they break, maybe an anti-vaccine story, maybe something new about breast cancer screening. So a, a broadening of the patient education model using social media. And the third, and what we actually ended up studying, my co-authors and I, was that clinicians, primary care docs in particular, are using it as a form of learning. So a way of sharing medical information, medical knowledge um, as part of their professional development. Now, that third bucket's not always a formal bucket, clearly. So continuing credit and those type of formal activities, that hasn't emerged within the social media sphere yet. But bucket one, to treat, bucket two, to teach, and bucket three, to learn, seem to be the primary uses. And when you look at that, you go into a situation where in many hospitals, in many settings, there seems to be a reluctance or a downright attack against the use of social media. You know, physicians who might be tweeting or something, they say that's a waste of your time or this isn't worthwhile. What do you say about that? It's a a great question in as much as there, there really hasn't been enough rigorous data collected demonstrating the benefit. So what we set out to do just about 14 months ago at this point is to specifically ask the question about meaningful use. We we're trying to catch on to that term. So, so we began to construct a survey research instrument looking at the meaningful use of social media. And in that, we were trying to identify whether the use of social media affected the quality of care. Now, that was one of the first studies to try to do that. And the best we could do at the time was to ask docs if they thought their participation with social media improved the care they provide. So it was really a a self-assessment, a perception of the quality of care. And what we found is about 60% of the primary care docs who are actively using social media believe it makes them a better doctor, believe it makes them more productive, and believe that it improves the quality of the care they provide. Now, since that data has come out, there's been a few other unique studies 
that have a little bit less to do with social media and a little bit more to do with the social networks. And if you extrapolate that the social media technologies that you and I think of most frequently, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and Pinterest, if we think about the networks that those media allow to take shape, then really what I think we're going to end up studying over time is not the media per se, but it's the networks that the media allows. And, and that's maybe a little bit more intuitive for the holdouts, for the late adopters that don't see the value of social media. I think they may be more likely to understand the value of a, of a more finely tuned social network. You know, my background, of course, is as a family physician, but also in broadcasting, many years of television. And, you know, one of the things that always frustrated me in TV, didn't frustrate me, it was part of the job, but was if I wanted to talk to a medical expert, had to kind of get in the truck with a photographer, drive out to a hospital, find the medical expert, wait in their waiting room, talk to them, get them on tape, get maybe 20 or 30 seconds of their voice cuts and come back to the station. Or I had the option of getting something off a satellite feed. What I have found very interesting is that in recent years, many of your leading medical institutions and centers now are doing interviews on various topics and sending it out through YouTube and saying, hey, if you want to grab this and drag it down, you can use that on TV, thereby eliminating, the first of all, the need for someone to run out and do that interview, but also by providing an easy reference, an easy doctor to give what they think is quality information. They also get their name on television stations throughout the country. And it's, a, it's an amazing use of what would essentially be free advertising and the information they want to get out and possibly driving people to their hospitals. But few hospitals have really jumped on board. You've seen Cleveland Clinic, Stanford, but, but not a whole lot of them. Well, two quick answers to that. I think you're absolutely right that everything you just expressed is around that bucket to use. So that ability to teach and parallel to that ability to teach the community is a bit of promotional or marketing opportunity. So um, I said that bucket one to treat is probably the least utilized, at least in the United States. Bucket two to teach and to promote is probably the number one way that social media is being utilized right now. And there are dozens and dozens, hundreds maybe, of great examples of individual clinicians who have built a reputation and a degree of authenticity using social media. As far as the hospitals go, you're right in that there are fewer examples of really, really well-orchestrated or well-engineered social media leveraging within the hospitals. But by the latest accounts, and this is accessible through the Mayo Center for Social Media website, where they've actually extended the list of, of hospitals that have social media footprints, and the hospitals can go in and update these profiles. There's over 1,500 hospitals in the United States that currently have a social media footprint. Now, that's it could be Facebook, it could be Twitter, it could be YouTube and others. I think that would account to about 30, maybe 25 to 30% of the hospitals in the United States are engaging in some way, but mostly one directional, as you suggested. You're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and you're listening to Primary Care Today. My guest is Dr. Brian McGowan, and if you want to reach him, by the way, on Twitter, it's at Brian S. McGowan, M-C-G-O-W-A-N, or if you want to reach me, it's actor at D-R-B-R-I-A-N McD, at Dr. Brian McD, because certainly... Um, 
we're out there and a lot of people are. You mentioned the hospitals that either have their imprint, their, you know, their footprint on Facebook. They're, they're doing these things. But you do have leaders and thought leaders who are involved quite a bit in this area. You obviously monitor this and, and know a great deal about it and have looked at it. Where do you see the future? In other words, where do you see the aspect of actually teaching, as you say, and, and taking it to that next level in education and medical education coming from in social media? I, I think about this a lot, as you might imagine. I mean, the, the teaching of the patients, I think the, the movement around the empowerment of patients, this idea that the patients are looking for information. So we know that 41% of patients say that the, a hospital or a practitioner's engagement with social media is likely to impact their decision on which hospital or practitioner to utilize. So we know the patients are out there looking. Um, another data set suggests that over 60% of patients are looking online for healthcare information. So we know that there's an opportunity there to get in front of health-related messages. The Mayo Center for Social Media, again, has for years described this idea. This is Liasi has described this idea of the solution for pollution is dilution. And wherein there are um, some polarizing issues in healthcare, and there are uh, folks that are arguing against vaccination or against circumcision, and there's these other hot topics, social media can be leveraged quite effectively to help dilute those non-evidence-based, more ideological arguments. So we're seeing that, and I, I think that that's probably the area that's going to have the greatest short-term impact, the, the idea of of getting in front of the messages and owning the messages that are available when people start Googling health-related terms. Let's make sure that the healthcare community is in front of that. Um, as far as medical education goes, so the individual healthcare practitioners, care coordination, care collaboration, I think in the long term this is going to have dramatic impact. And, and as I mentioned earlier about social networks that these media permit, there's a great study by James Fowler, Nicholas Christakis, and, and their group actually out of a, a spin-out organization they created. And they looked at the social graph of patient-shared networks. And what they found is based on the structure of that patient-shared or the shared patient network, so these were 100 clinicians that were sharing a common group of patients, the structure of the network could impact healthcare quality and healthcare cost numbers by 18 to 20%. So depending on how well organized the structure was, the number of nodes and connections, we're getting into a little bit of social network science, but we know that the structure of those social graphs had an 18% reduction on length of stay, 18% reduction on healthcare costs, and a near 20% increase in, the, in overall healthcare quality. It's fascinating data. And I think that's where we're going to end up. I think the media will be less important and the networks or the social graphs will become much more important in the quality of healthcare. Well, I think in many cases, just in the general news, many of us are now turning to um, Twitter or social networks to find things. We find them very fast or go to them very rapidly. And when you talk about marketing, uh, I was on a long drive, well, actually a couple-hour drive, and the, the Oscars were on, and I was just curious who was winning, and I was in a passenger seat, so I just started following Twitter. Well, I still saw what was trending, and before you know it, I'm getting the updates, but different people were advertising various products and shooting things in uh, there as well because they knew they had a set audience of people who were following that. Uh, well, I think, 
I think that says a few things. One is that traditional social media networks, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, it is quite difficult to control information flowing through that. That's both the beauty and the limitation of those. So what you might be referring to is maybe you're using the hashtag Oscars, right? So as you're connecting to that and you're scrolling through and and you're able to connect to tens of millions of individuals around the world that are all live tweeting the Oscars, there are organizations that quite logically would want to use that hashtag and get their message out. And we see that. We see that with healthcare conferences. The AAP meeting a few weeks ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they had a hashtag set up for their meeting. And throughout the course of their meeting, there were some, uh, I brought this up earlier, about uh, circumcision um, antagonists that were spamming that hashtag over the course of the meeting. So here you are, you have 10 or 15,000 pediatric and pediatric healthcare providers all looking to use that as a form of learning. But since they don't control the Twitter stream and they don't control that hashtag, they were making themselves open to those types of, of uh, controversial messaging. And that's, that's part of the problem with the general media. You kind of get what you pay for. So if you're using the free services, then you lose control. And, and that clearly has ramifications in broader health care. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Dr. Brian McGowan. We have less than a minute, and I do want to at least hit what are some of the areas, some of the ways there are controls and controlled areas where you can use social media as a physician right now? Well, I think, I think the, the idea of treating a patient over the general uh, networks, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, is, is not logical given uh, the, the risk environment that we are in. So making sure that there's a disclosure as part of your Facebook or LinkedIn accounts and as clearly as possible when engaged by patients, whether they're yours or whether they're someone just asking a question, the advice always needs to be that you don't treat directly or you don't answer direct patient care. If you can find an instance, if your healthcare system has an instance, or if your insurer possibly has an instance of a closed network that provides you the opportunity to engage with patients using media, new media, but not the broad general social media, then I think those closed networks offer untold benefits to the provision of healthcare and healthcare quality in the country. Dr. Brian McGowan, I want to thank you for joining us. It went way too fast, but I appreciate your time and um, some of the tips you've had. And hopefully down the road, we'll have you again join us on Primary Care Today. Thank you very much, Brian.